Well, here we go. Another great year, another great study, but this does not change. This is my Bible. I believe it's God's word. I believe every word is true. And it's all that I need. That's right. Well, obviously, you didn't have a lesson, and I certainly don't want to do Genesis 1 and 2 without you studying it first. And so um, I have decided to do, I love taking a psalm. And um, Psalm 119 is a psalm that I go to frequently when, when it comes to trying to make sure we understand how important it is to study, to, to take the time. And um, I had a lady this morning say to me, I will never look at Psalm 119 again, because she says, every time I would hear Psalm 119, I just, I just thought, oh, no, the longest book in the Bible. And that's, that's what it's known for. And, and maybe that's what you've thought, too. And yeah, it's 176 verses. That's absolutely a long, a long book. A long chapter. That's right. It is practically a book. So anyway, turn in your Bibles to Psalm 119, because by the time you leave in an hour or so, I want to make sure you see that it is worth you committing to 32 weeks of study of Genesis, line by line, word for word. Um, you will see that in, no matter what your life happens to be going through at the time, the writer of this psalm, I, it's like he is, it's, it's like he's you and I, because he goes through all different kinds of walks of life, and the answer is always the same. Now, this psalm, even though it has 176 verses, I mean, you, if you want to go through with a fine-tooth comb, yeah, you'll, you'll find a few verses that, that really don't, you know, pertain or, or say something about statutes or commands or law or something that refers to God's word if you really want to nitpick. But, but for the most part, every verse of the 176 refer to God's word. And, and actually, the whole main subject of this psalm is for us to see the greatness and the glory of his word. You know, the Bible, sometimes in, in, some, in some denominations, they're taught that it's not up to them. It's the minister or the priest's job to read the Bible and then to, to then convey what it says. And unfortunately, I think of how many, how much people miss under that ideal. Um, but it is a book that has been personally written for you and for me because it is just, it's just such an understanding of every kind of issue and, and circumstance and of life's surprises, um, life's disappointments, love, life's mountaintop experiences, it's always the answer. And so the psalmist writes that many times to show us that. He writes 170, at least 172 times. And then there's something else about this psalm. Um, it is, it's divided into units. And, and you know, this isn't any life-changing knowledge or anything, but I think it's really interesting because it's broken down into 22 units and there's eight verses in every unit. And so it's, you know, meticulously and purposely put in this way. And, and in the Hebrew alphabet, there are 
30, or there are 22 letters. There's 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. And so on the top of every unit, you see a little kind of funny word, but that is a letter in the Hebrew alphabet. So I love those details. 22 units, eight verses to every unit, 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. And so every unit is started with one of those Hebrew letters. Another thing I found out about this psalm was um, there was a man named Matthew Henry. He was an 18th century commentator, loved God's word. And whenever, I mean, Matthew Henry has a profound way of, of making the Bible understandable. I don't use the commentary very often, but if, if I do, Matthew Henry, I always trust him for some reason. I just trust him. And, and so I did a little digging on him. I wanted to know what would cause a man to just love his Bible so much that he wanted to give his life, feeling God's call on his life to make it understandable for people to understand to make it, you know, so that people could really get it, that he would want to be a commentator. And I, and you know, you expect, well, you know, he was really smart and he went to such and such a school or academy or, or seminary or whatever, you know, you expect to find, but the thing I found out about him was that when he was a little boy, his dad made him read, as soon as he could start to read, his dad made him read one verse of Psalm 119 every day. So that's all it was, one verse of Psalm 119 a day, which would mean then that he would read that psalm twice in one year. And then year after year, twice a year, he'd be reading that same psalm, that by the time he grew up, he fell so in love with God's word because he saw the importance and how badly we need it in every situation that he heard God's call to make it understandable to many. That's, that's simple, but yet we benefit from it today and how, how important this one psalm is. So I had a lady also tell me this morning that, uh, that She'll never open her Bible and see Psalm 119 the same way again. She didn't know. And I think because it's so long, we shy away from it. And uh, I mean, obviously, we're not going to do every verse tonight, but I think we're going we're gonna to catch the gist of it. And I'll probably say this at the end, too, but just put this in your mind. If you are not filling your mind up and your heart up with God's Word, because you're going to fill it with something. And if, it's, if you're not going to fill it with God's word, if there's no time for them, and, or if you're, you just, you know, you, you kind of got yourself conditioned, well, well, you know, I'll just quick do it in five minutes in the morning, I'm good for the day. And, or you even said, you know, I'm oh, just so busy. I mean, if, if that's what happens... You know, that, that is, is such a, a dangerous thing that can happen to all of us. But you have to understand that the more time you spend and the more you develop that knowledge and that understanding of God's word, you find that, well, it not only changes you, but 
you just find that you, well, you're going you're gonna to see from the psalmist, if you don't fill your mind and heart with God's word, then the enemy, the enemy will, and we, we have an enemy, we actually have two, and the enemy is, of course, Satan, but I think even, um, even a stronger, if I could say that, enemy is our own self. In fact, Satan loves to use self because he knows how, how, you know, you know, we are just drawn to self, and, and that's a natural human nature. But, but um, if we don't fill our hearts with God and our minds with God's word, then he then, or self will, fill it up with. And I think this is why we see in today's world so much anxiety, you know, so much stress, so much fear and panic, so much negativity. So much division, so much critical spirit. And that little phrase helped me to understand that it's up to me what I'm feeling, what I'm filling my heart and mind with, because that's going to reflect what's going to be coming out of me. So, with that, Psalm 119. Look how this psalmist starts with that beautiful word, blessed. Blessed are they whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. Just so you know, whenever you see words like law of the Lord, like I said, or statutes or, or precepts or, you know, that's all pertains to this book. So blessed are they whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. Blessed are they who keep his statutes and seek him with all their heart. You know, we talk about that word blessed a lot. And blessed is, especially when you see blessed in God's word, you know it's, it's a blessing that, that there's nothing in this world that can do what the heavenly blessing can do. When, when God says that we will be blessed, he's talking about a blessing that, well, like Paul said, we're blessed with every blessing from the heavenly realms. Like words like forgiveness and redemption and salvation. You know, you are blessed. Grace, lavished with grace is another. We are blessed with blessed assurance. Um, there's just so many dimensions to that word blessed, but you don't want to miss it because it's, it's so great. It's so life-changing. Blessed are they whose ways are blameless who walk according to the law of the Lord. Blessed are they who keep his statutes and seek him with all their heart they do nothing wrong. They walk in his ways. How many read that and think, well, that's just not possible? I mean, there's just no way that there's anybody that can do nothing wrong. I think we've conditioned ourselves to believe that. I know we are sinful human beings, but this chapter, this psalm, is going to show you that we can. We can live a life and not do anything wrong. But what does that take? Well, he's going to show you. I mean, there can be a days that there can, well, well how about even a minute or, or five or, or 15? There can be a, a block of time where we don't do anything wrong. It is possible when you walk according to his ways. But unless you know what his ways are, that's why so few do. I think there are so many good church people who are biblically illiterate because they really do not know what the Bible really says because they don't 
take the time or make the effort or, or study and meditate. It just got a misconception of the importance. Well, I tell you, all of us who are here tonight, we're not going to leave with that misconception because we know. We're going to know. Now, you might look at that and think, well, that, is, that sounds like an awful boring life. I mean, no, no fun in there at all. There's no fun. I mean, what kind of person just absolutely does everything right? How boring. I'll tell you, it isn't, it isn't boring. And it, it is tremendously fun because the psalmist says why. Because look at in verse 6. I would not be put to shame. He, he, goes, he goes by saying, and if I would do it right, if I really would, because I know you've laid down the precepts and that are to be fully obeyed, I know that my ways were steadfast in obeying your decrees, if I did it, then I wouldn't be put to shame. Just think, wouldn't it be something if at the end of your day, and you're thinking about your day, that you wouldn't have to, you wouldn't even have to consider, oh my, I wonder, I wonder if she took it wrong. I wonder if he took that wrong. I, I wonder, uh, why did I say that? Um, why did I do that? Why was my self-impulsiveness, why did I just do what I did? And, and there we feel that guilt and we feel, you know, we feel so bad and and he says you know if I did it right the first time if I did what he said then I would not I would not be put to shame I wouldn't have to carry that guilt now guilt is a good thing because when we do mess up we do feel guilty and that guilt is supposed to feel so terrible because then we'll do something about it like go to him and ask for forgiveness but the psalmist is trying to say if you really do study his, his word and you do fully obey it the way he expects, then you can live a life that is guilt-free and shame-free. And I think it's called freedom because you don't have to think about what you might have done that could have caused some damage. Look at verse 9. How can a young man keep his way pure? How can a young man? Now, according to Revelation 22, I firmly believe we could not add to or take away scripture. I would never mess around with that. But I do every once in a while to make it more approachable or make it more real to me, I will adjust a word or two. This is the way I adjusted this verse 9. How can an old lady keep her way pure? <laughs> you know, you put yourself in there because to me, whether you're a young man, middle-aged man, old man, or if you're a, a young lady, a middle-aged lady, or an old lady, I would say our main problem is that we have a hard time keeping our ways pure. And what does that mean? Keep your ways pure. There's only two roads that you and I can travel. The Lord has made it not complicated. He's made it simple for us to understand. When he says, take up your cross, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. This is what must happen if you want to be a follower of mine, Jesus said. 
You must deny yourself. Take up whatever cross you've got that, you, that it's just weighing you down. Well, take it up and just follow me because I know what I'm going to use that for and what I'm going to do with it. And we can always count on that the destination that he takes us on is always the right one. The other road, the other road, and that's why Jesus also said in the, in the Gospels, how, how this road, oh, man, there are bazillion people on this road because it has it has to do with your own self i'm going to do and go where i want to go and do what i want to do and that is such a major human nature mindset and so what must i do to keep my way pure that i stay on the right road i want to stay on the right road that i'm following him and look what he says. I mean, the answer, again, is so not complicated. It is so simple. By living according to your word. But how can you live according to his word if you don't know it? If you are making it a priority of your day. This is just a little tidbit. I don't know. I started doing this a while back. But, you know, obviously, when I go home, I'll shut my Bible. But, but when I get home, when I get home, the first thing I do when I get home is put my Bible on my desk and open it up. And I don't know whether that's just me psychologically, but, you know, when I close my Bible and even put it in the same place, but it's closed, there's something about it. I will look at it because I walk by it all the time. I will think, oh, I got to get to that. Oh, yeah, I got to get to that. But if it's open, if it's open, it's like a magnet. It's just kind of... It just kind of draws me to it. And I'll just want to catch a verse here, catch a verse there, but it's always open. And I also think, because I didn't intend for this to happen, but a couple of my grandkids, one, one of them said a while back, they said, do you ever shut your Bible? So they noticed, they noticed that every time they came that my Bible was open. Now, like I said, that's just a little thing for me because I find that, that I go to it easier. Not that it's a whole big effort to have to open it, but if it's open already, then inevitably I'll find that the Lord has something. And I just catch it throughout the day. So how can you keep your way pure? I'm, I have a desire, and I pray you have the desire. I want to keep my life pure. I want to be on the right road with him. And that takes work and effort and time. But living according to the word. It's not a big list of 10 things, is it? And then look at verse 10. I seek, I seek you with all my heart, the psalmist says. I seek you with all my heart. Now, I think to me that's, that's a clincher, that, that I seek you, I seek you. That means that I made a choice. I made, I'm making a conscientious effort. I, I seek you. I want, I want this. I desire to, to have what you have for me. I desire to be in the center of your will. Uh, sometimes people will ask me this. They'll say, um, when you have a decision to make or when, um, do you pray first? And I think they're just automatically thinking I'm going to say yes. 
Because obviously, you know, you are going to pray first. And I have to say to him, no, I don't pray first. I don't pray first. Now, I know that sounds terrible, but you know what? If I really don't want what God has for me, then I can pray till I'm blue in the face. And it's not going to change anything because I'm not going to do it. It can sound holy. And I think the psalmist and I kind of got the same idea here. I mean, I seek you means I desire, I want it. So then I'm going to do what it takes. So I, I guess my first step is I got to check my attitude. I got to check to see, do I really want it? If, if you don't mind me using this as an example. I had a gal who um, has been struggling with alcohol. And she's been in the class. And she so wants to say that she doesn't drink anymore. Now, I don't think she's into the point of, you can call her an alcoholic or anything like that, but it's just like, she said, but you don't know what it's like to be social like me and not drink. You don't know what it's like to go to the, the, the social gatherings that I go to. I mean, it's just automatic. You could never do that. And I said, oh, yeah, no problem. She said, well, would you fake it then? Do you take a glass and you just fake it? I said, no, no, I don't make a big deal of it. So then we talked about it more and I explained to her, you know, it's kind of like, okay, how do you keep your way pure? If that's a desire, if you feel like the Lord's convicting you and, and that, then what does his word say? Do you seek him with all your heart? And this is where it really got a little prickly because, you know, she says, well, well let's pray about it. And I said, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, before we pray about it, I'm going to ask you, will, do you really want to give it up? Because believe it or not, that, you've got to decide because you can start praying about it and that, but if you really don't want to, is this a true desire? I mean, I know you think you want to, but it is not going to be easy because when you stick him with all your heart, he's going to start, um, he's going to start, you know, telling you and he's going to start um, whispering in your ear and he's going to lead you down a path that when you go to this social gathering, you're, you're not going to do it. And can you? Do you want to? Do you want to stand for what's right here according to what you said you want for your life? And you know what? She had a hard time. She didn't. She said, I, I don't know. I think I still want to. And I said, well, that's what you have to deal with first. You've got, to, you've got to deal with the fact that maybe you don't want to give it up. And I think that's why the psalmist wrote, I seek you with all my heart. I want to be on that right road. I want to walk that pure way. I want it. You have to keep asking yourself, do you want to bed? And I seek you, Lord. Because look, then... He admits, do not let me stray from your commands. He's like giving the Lord permission because he knows it's not going to be easy. So Lord, do what you have to do. Do not let me stray. 
I think when we want to make changes in our life, I just used her as a uh, simple example, but I think when, when the Lord convicts us of something, I mean, I told you this one time, you know, I used to watch this one TV show and I used to laugh my head off. I, it, it was just so funny. And all of a sudden, one night I was watching it and all of a sudden I thought, I, I, was, I thought, this is terrible. This is absolutely the worst. I mean, from one day to the no, another. And it was like, it was the Lord's timing saying, you know, well, now, we'll take a look at that. And to this day, I have never seen that show again because it was such a, it was such a conviction that the Lord gave to me. And no, I'm not going to tell you. I'm not going to tell you what show it was. That's my and the Lord's business. But I, I'm just using that as an example. Because I think as we grow in the Lord, he then has these convictions that he starts kind of easing in on us, saying, I think things need to change. As you are changing, transforming into my likeness, then I think this is something we've got to take out of your life. And aren't you glad he doesn't show you everything that needs to be changed all at once? But the psalmist is saying here, I seek you with all my heart. I, I want to be better. I want to know you more. I want You are worthy of my life. But you're going to have to help me. You're going you're gonna to have to help me not stray from your commands because it's your word that's going to keep me on the right, pure road. And, and what can cause us to go off that, pro, that pure, right road of following Christ and listening to his voice? And what, what can move us off? Because it can be so subtle. It can be just so quick. And it could be as simple as you not keeping your appointment with him. Because I, I think that when we study God's word every day, that's like making an appointment. And we wouldn't think of missing an appointment. But when you make an appointment with the Lord, you keep it. Then look at how he goes on. It says, I have hidden your word in my heart. I have hidden your word in my heart. Why would you do that? What does that mean? I hide your word in my heart. I mean, as much as we would love a hole in our head and put a funnel on every word of these 66 books was, was poured in. But, you know, that the Lord says no to that. He wants to see how serious we are about it. He wants to see how much effort and work and how important he is to us. He wants to know if, if he is top priority. If he's not just a part of our life, but he is our life. He's always checking that. So he'll, he'll test. I, I, I have you hidden my word in your head. Have you taken the time to get it in there? Have you, have you pondered it? Have you put it into your heart where there's good, good soil so it will take root and you'll never be the same because of what you've learned. So that at just the right time, the Holy Spirit helps you recall what you need to know. I've hidden your, your word in my heart because 
boy, when that temptation is just dangling in front of me and my human impulses just to want that gratification right now, I'm, I want to feel good now. Let your spirit bring that word to my recall. Let the spirit bring that verse that said, no temptation is too great. There is no way you can excuse yourself by saying that I couldn't help it, I'm only human. Because we have a greater power within us. How do I know that? Because from his word, I learned that on the day of my salvation, I was given a gift of his spirit who is more powerful than the worst of enemies. But there again, you go back to that number one question. Do I really want to? Do I really want to listen to him? Do I really want to stay on the road and follow him? Look at verse 15. This is what it takes. I meditate on your precepts. I, I can and consider your ways. I meditate. It doesn't say, and I and I quick read for five minutes or two minutes. No, I meditate. And I don't think it's so much the quantity, but it's the quality. You can take a verse. I mean, if you've got a, a little paragraph that you read and then you've got a verse or something, or you've got your assignment of reading every day, do you ever take the time long enough to just kind of sit back and think about it? How does that, how does that relate to you? That's meditating. And I think that's why all these verses are coming together one at a time. He's showing us. I meditate. I meditate on your precepts. And then look what happens in verse 16. I delight. Isn't that a great goal to have too? That you start delighting, you want, you, you can't wait to see what, what instructions got for you. I delight in your degrees. That's why I won't neglect your word. Verse 20, my soul is consumed with longing for your word at all times that this book starts to get so important to you that you're just falling in love with it and you can't wait to see what it's going to tell you next. And then in verse 25, in verse 25, this is where the psalmist starts, I think in the first few verses, it's kind of like uh, showing us, you know, um, he, well, showing us how, the importance of his word, but then, but then also to show us how and why we need his word. But then he shows us that there are going to be some difficult times that we want to sometimes push it aside or we don't feel like it. Look what he says. I am laid low in the dust. I am laid low in the dust. I don't think you get any much, I don't think you could get any lower than that. But I think we all can understand what that means. I am laid low in the dust. And then he goes on and says, preserve my life according to your word. You better help me get into your word because otherwise my life is just going to continue to go down. Because when you are so laid low in the dust, you really, you really don't even feel like going on. There is no point in getting up in the morning. It's like you have just snuffed out every little piece of joy. 
You've gotten to the point. It is just, just such a difficult time. But the psalmist says, you better. Your word, your word will preserve my life. This, this psalmist knows what he needs to get back on top. I know, I used to sing a song. I loved singing this song. It was from one of the psalms. And the song went, he brought me out of the miry clay. He put my feet on the rock to stay. He put a song in my heart today, a song of praise. Hallelujah. That's what, and because that is a scripture, that is truth. I don't think you can see or sing or hear those words and not see it and feel it and sense it lifting you up. He lifted me out of that miry clay because I would like sink in sand. You would still keep going down. That's why he knows your words. The only thing that's going to preserve my life when I am in that condition of laid low in the dust. Look at verse 28. My soul is weary with sorrow. Maybe this is even harder than being laid low in the dust. My soul, now we're talking about your soul. My soul is weary with sorrow. These are, these are very difficult times. Maybe this is when there's something that has happened in your life and you know that every morning you've got to deal with it because it isn't going to change. My soul is just plain weary with sorrow. Life can do that to you. Loss can do that to you. Discouragement, disappointment can do that to you. It goes to the depths of your soul. You need strength. And where is that strength going to come from? <laughs> your word again. Is your Bible open? Is that where you go? I have a friend, one of my children's Bible R friends, and once you develop a friendship on children's Bible R, you don't lose it. And she and I were the same age, and, but when she got married, she moved to Boston because her husband was a librarian in one of the universities in Boston. And we always kept contact and everything, but then all of a sudden her life just really... Um, took a real dive as far as with health issues with her husband and it's become just a very, very difficult life for her. And he now is in a wheelchair and Alzheimer's has taken over all of his, all of his um, ailments and issues through the years have just led now to his mind not working right. And he's still home and she's taken care of him and it's just her and him, and she has got an eye condition that limits her so that she can't drive or go anywhere, and she's just dependent on people, and she has a wonderful church and all that. But, I, I mean, every day she gets up and she has to deal with caring for him and lifting him. And, and we were talking the other night, and she was telling me about, you know, her day and, and how the Lord gives her the strength how she says, God is good to me. He, he's so good to me. He gives me what I need for the day. I mean, what a testimony. 
But I have to say something about her. And I didn't know that she was doing this for the longest time, but she's been doing it for, I guess, a lot longer than what I even thought. But she, she is a part of our class. And, and she knows that I put the podcast on on the website on Tuesday night. And, and no matter what time I get up on Wednesday morning, and I do this sometimes on purpose, just get up real early just to see. And no matter what time I get up, someone's already has listened to it. And I know it's her. She has her Bible out and she, she goes through every lesson with us. And so I was telling her that this was the week that, you know, we we're starting all the classes and that, and, and she made this comment. And, and yeah, I was grateful for it, but she says, boy, the Lord sure is using you mightily. I said, bye, but then I called her back. Because I thought to myself, I thought, what does it matter if the Lord calls you to one or to a few hundred? I said to her, I said, you know, you have just been such a testimony to me, showing me that you get through the day because of God's word and that his promises, you stand on them. And so his strength is sufficient. His grace is sufficient. And it sees, and you wouldn't be able to do it without that. And I said, all of a sudden, I got thinking, Kale, I, I can't do this either. So we're both in the same boat. It has nothing to do with numbers. But when the Lord calls you and you know that in and of yourself, you can, but he can. I said, we're, we're totally, we're totally in this together. My calling is no greater than your calling because you can't do it without the Lord. I can't do it without the Lord. So he's doing, he's working in both of us completely. See, the world is so damaging to our minds sometimes because we start believing that, that numbers or success or, or popularity or whatever. Because you don't know my friend Gail. You don't know what she goes through every day. But the Lord sure does. And he supplies her with what she needs you know me, but you also, you also know that I'm not the sharpest tack in the box, but I believe that James says if any of you lacks wisdom, all you have to do is ask. But see, he's the one doing it. I'm really quite proud of that. I'm not putting myself down. I'm just admitting, and I'm trying to communicate because this is, this is something I think we're all plagued with. That we don't feel that either that we're sufficient or good enough or we don't measure up in the world's standards. But we're all in this together. When we venture out, when we take God's word for what it is and when we hear and stand on his promises and, and it's, like, it's like all of a sudden you hear God's voice saying, you can do this to Christ who's going to give you the strength. You can and it's like you'll hear him say, oh, I'm right here with you. I, I promised I'd never leave. So you might not actually be able to see me, but you can know because you know that I would never lie to you because every word is true. I will never leave you. 
I have promised you that I will be your refuge, that I will be your strength. I mean, we can hear these truths. Because look what he says. Like you, look what you and I have to do in verse 30. I mean, so sometimes we're laid low in the dust. Sometimes our soul is so weary with sorrow. We have to deal with the same thing over and over. Look what verse 30 says. I made a choice. Because that, that's always what we have to do. We've got, we've got one of two choices to make. Am I, am I going to do this or am I not? Do I really want it or don't I? I mean, it's, it's something we have to ask ourselves all the time. But verse 30, the psalmist says, I have chosen the way of truth. I feel lousy right now. My life's a mess. But I am choosing to follow the way of truth. I have set my heart on your word. You know, and that all sounds good, but we needed verse 31 because so often you can say, yep, I've chosen it. And then something happens in the course of the day and off, you've moved off the, the right road and there you're on self-road again. Look what he says next. Not only do you have to choose the way of truth, you've got to hold fast. You've got to hold on tight. Verse 32, I run in the path. I run in the path of your commands. That's the road you want to be in. I want to run in that direction, in that forward direction, along the path of your commands. Okay, so what is it going to take to do that? Verse 33, 34, 35, 36, 37. He makes it so clear. Another, another unit here. Teach me, oh Lord, teach me. See, it just doesn't come. It takes effort and work. You've got to be taught. I need instruction. I need direction. I need, teach me, oh Lord, to follow. And, and you know, you have this opportunity on Tuesday nights I mean, and during the week, I mean, to read that passage over and over and just think on it, ponder on it, and, and let the Lord, through his spirit, just kind of create ideas and filter in, you know, some uh, application. And how can you, you make, how can you, this passage become yours and relate to what you're going through right now? Yeah, teach me, Lord. And then give me understanding. The, these, are, these can be just words on a page that, that we just can read. But, but once you are willing to say, teach me, I want you to give me the understanding. I want to know what you mean here. I want to obey with all my heart. Verse 35, direct me. Direct me in the path of your commands. I need direction. Verse 36, turn my heart. Because in our natural human nature, we want to be on the road that's all about me. So, no, I know that doesn't get me into a good place. So, please, turn my heart toward wanting to be on that pure road. The road that follows you. 
turn my heart. Turn my eyes away from the things that want to pull me away from you. Turn my eyes away from things that are worthless. Because if you don't, you, it's, up to, it's up to your word is what's going to preserve my life. Otherwise, I'm going to continue to go down that slope. Turn to verse 141. It's kind of, it's kind of on the same kind of theme. Verse 141, the psalmist says, Though I am lowly and despised, that's another hard place to be. And I think every one of us has been there. As someone said something to you that all of a sudden, I mean, all of, all of a sudden, I mean, not only does it hurt, but it belittles you. You feel worthless. And apparently the psalmist has been there when he says, though I am lowly, I don't feel like I'm worth a thing. I mean, what can I do? I feel despised. So, see, we can get down. We can get in those down times like that. That's what human nature does to us. And the psalmist is trying to say, you don't have to stay there. Because though you might be hurt, though someone might try to maybe intimidate you or put you down or what, even though you might feel low and despised, Look what he says. I just, it's like I'm making a choice. I do not forget your precepts. Okay, you have to decide whose voice am I going to hear here? Am I going to hear myself say, oh, you were right after what they did. I can feel sorry for myself and I can just sulk here. And I can. Or are you going to go to that open Bible? Because that Bible is open and it says right there, I do not forget your precepts. Let him tell you again what you mean to him. Look at verse 143. Trouble and distress have come upon me. We've all been there too. We're hit with trouble. We're hit with distress. Stress. This is the theme song of this world. Everybody's stressed. How do you, you want out of it? But <laughs> you're coming... It says, trouble and distress have come upon me, but your commands are my delight. I'll, that takes that stress away. His commands turn that stress into delight because it helps you, again, remind you of who you are in him. Now go back to verse 50 a minute. Okay, in those, in those times... Look at verse 50, says, my comfort in my suffering is this. So he's acknowledging, yeah, being laid low in the dust, my soul is weary with sorrow, when I'm low and despised, when I have trouble and distress coming my way. Those are not happy times. That's suffering times. You want out of it? There's comfort even in that suffering. He says, your promise preserves my life, your promise. Another referral. That's why we sang what we did tonight. Stand on that promise. He said it, believe it, grab it, hold on to it. And you will see that promise. Did you, let's just go over those words again. Standing, standing, I'm standing on the promises of God, my Savior. 
God, your Savior, would never lie to you. You would never say something like, uh, good luck, I'll see you later. <laughs> you know, wish you the best. No, he's given us promise after promise that we can stand on. There I go again. First question that I have to ask myself, do I want, really want it? Because a lot of times, what he's going to call me to do or to be is not in my plan. Change everything. But are you willing to know him enough that you can trust the change? He says you're going to find comfort in his promises. Okay, now, verse 55. Look, in the night, in the night, isn't that sometimes the worst time? Sometimes, you know, when, when things are tough or when you're, you know, all of a sudden you feel the loss or something, it seems like at night when all is dark. I think that's why the verse is uh, weeping lasts for the night, but joy comes in the morning. So in the night, not always maybe a healthy time. If I can't sleep in the night, it, my mind will go in all directions. What if maybe one, you know, and all of a sudden you can just feel fear and worry and, and all these things start to creep in. I'm so glad we studied this psalm because look, in the night, I can, look at the psalmist does. He sure got a better way to handle it than I sure did. He says, I remember your name, O Lord. Instead of letting your thoughts just go nuts, start thinking of all the names. There are so many names that des describe the Lord. There's so many names that reflect his character. And every name is a description of him that you and I can apply to our own lives. It's just such a challenge. And what a difference it makes instead of laying there probably worrying about something that might not even happen. That's why Jesus said, when you lay there worrying, is that going to add any, any minutes to your life? Try remembering the names of your Lord, your Savior. I mean, even the name of Jesus, meaning that he came and took away all my sins. I mean, it sets you on the path of thinking on those thoughts instead. Look at verse 66. Teach me knowledge. See, I underlined that verse because the more that he teaches us, the more I can make more sound judgment decisions. I want to know, I, I want to be able to make right decisions. So teach me knowledge of your word. I'm going to get to know you better and what you've instructed me better so I can make a better choice. Verse 67. This is another dandy because this psalmist admits, I blew it. You know, up until here, it all sounds so well and good in that. And, but it also, we also know it's going to be difficult. It's hard to always continuously put self aside. And so the psalmist says, I went astray. I went astray. I, I jumped, I jumped roads. I got on that road of me, myself, and I, and that's all I cared about. And I continued on that path. That's why he says, before I was afflicted, 
So he went astray, and then he was afflicted. But then quick look down at verse 71. He admits, it's good I was afflicted. So let's talk about that afflicted thing, because that is not comfortable. What is an affliction? What, what, what happens when you go astray? You've got, you have got a father. You've got a savior who loves you so much and they want, they'll do whatever it takes to grab you around the neck because a lot of times once we're on that road, we don't even realize it and we just keep heading down. And so you need something that jolts you. And it's affliction. Sometimes it's just the mere consequence of your sin. Because there is always, and we're going we're gonna to learn that for sure in the next weeks. But you, sometimes the affliction is just a wake-up call when you have a consequence to your disobedience. But sometimes, sometimes, I just step out on a limb here and say, that the Lord says, this is what I, when, when I have an affliction, it's not that the Lord would ever use sin. You know, yesterday here we commemorated 22 years ago, you know, 9-11. We all know where we were. It still kind of pierces our heart, I think, when we hear about it and still can't believe it. Such evil. And would I say that God did that? Of course not. It was evil-hearted men that did that. But I do know, I do know that, that at times like that, we have a God who loves us so much and says, I can use that. I can use that. If people will listen to me, I can use that as a wake-up call. I think that's what happened with Judas. Did God create Judas purposely to betray him? Are you nuts? That's not the kind of God we, we serve. Judas had every opportunity along with Peter, Andrew, James, and John. He saw the same, he heard the same. He had every opportunity. And he chose. He made his choice. But God, because he loves us, says... I can use that. And I think that's one of the most valuable lessons in scripture for church people. It just shows that you can, you can go to church every week. You can hear the verses. You can, you can be on committees. You can even maybe be on church boards and you can quote scripture and all that. But if you have never followed the terms of walking to the cross, humbling yourself, knowing you need a savior, and are willing to take, take what he is offering You know, you are, you're going to miss it. You're going to miss it. And Judas shows us that you can do all those things and yet not really even know them. And it hasn't changed anything about your life. If you can't see change, 
almost every day, I would say, because the more, the more that you're in God's word, the more he kind of puts a mirror in front of you and he kind of shows you yourself. And I know salvation happens in an instant, but he is every day kind of chipping away at that old me and transforming it into the new. Because I want that verse that says, old things are gone and behold, all things become new. And I love the verse that said, it's no longer I that lives, it's Christ that lives in me. But he is chipping away so that eventually I can see it in its fullness. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. So he is admitting it was good for me to be afflicted. I I sometimes picture the Lord saying before a real whammy, it's my life. I believe because I know he loves me so much, like he loves you so much. I think he says, I'm so sorry to have to do this to you. I mean, it's just like when you parent. Did you ever say to your kid before you... Before you walloped him, did you ever say, now this is going to hurt me more than you? Of course. But you know what? It's really true. I mean, because you and I don't want to, to be the one that causes pain, but yet you know they've got to learn. And so you've got to instill affliction on them so that they won't forget My 22-year-old granddaughter, I took care of her a lot when she was little. So we invested in a little tricycle for her when she came to our house all the time. So she loved that tricycle. Hopped on it the first thing when she'd come. and She loved riding in the driveway. And the, the older she got, she just got a little braver and a little braver. She got more and more to the end of the driveway. And, and then she started edging into the road. And no, no, Jenna. I think of her now, and I think, you know, she's a senior at Calvin. She's going to be a nurse, and but yet these days are like yesterday. And she, you know, I say, no, no, Jenna, you can't go on the road. Car's gone. And try to explain it to her. So then bring her bike back up in the driveway, and she'd go and edge more and more toward the road. And I'd say, no, no, Jenna. She'd look at me with those brown eyes, you know, like, oh, Grandma, you're a sucker. You know, so in the road she would go. She just thought that no problem here. I thought, oh, I don't want to do this. I don't want, I don't want to be the the mean grandma, you know. But I I said to her, I said, okay, I'm going to give you one more chance. I said, no, and if you go on the road again, I'm taking your bike away. And she looked at me thinking, there's no way my grandma would take, you know. She, she won't take my bike away. And she just rolled right in the road. And I went into that road, and I picked her up off that bike, and I grabbed that bike, and I brought it into the garage. I put a blanket over it. And I said, there. And she looked at me, and that look was exactly what I didn't want to see, was, you are mean. You are one mean grandma. And it crushed me, because I want to be the fun grandma. And this day, I was the mean grandma. But I knew that I'd rather have her look at me like that than have her hit by a car. And I, I know that's 
such a simple little illustration, but it was real to me, and I thought it came back to me when I was studying this because that, that, that's, that's what God is for us. I'm sorry to have to do this to you, but I love you too much, and the consequences of what will happen if I don't grab you around the neck and show you I mean it. Look at verse 89. Verse that you know, and I hope you underline, and it says, your word, O Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. If anybody ever comes to you and says, come on, would you get with it? It's 2023. It's a new, it's a, a brand new culture. You've got you've to adjust to it. You know, Bible's old-fashioned. You just come back and say, Psalm 119, verse 89 says, that God's word stands firm in the heavens. It is eternal. It does not change. Verse 91, your, your word endures to this day. Look at verse 98. Look what happens. The more that you take in God's word and you hide it in your heart, your word makes me wiser than my enemies. We should love that verse. Because our enemies, I mean, I, I think we, self and Satan are, are, to me, you know, our greatest enemies that cause me to go off and to think that your commands, if I listen, your commands will make me wiser than my enemies. I can, I can watch Satan try to dangle that bait in front of me, and I know how bad I want it. I know but because I have learned this verse that no temptation is too great if you look to the Lord for your way of escape. That's being pretty smart. Smarter than your enemies. Look at verse 99. I have more insight than all my teachers. I have more insight than all my teachers. That is really something because, you know, when you, at least for me, I could relate to this because I'm easily intimidated. I used to be very easily intimidated with people with high education and who could talk with such intellect. And, and I've had it where some real smarty pants tried to get me. And I love that verse. It says, I have more insight than all my teachers. Why? Because I choose to meditate on God's word. And I'll tell you, there is nothing more powerful. Because the verse before just made me feel powerful. That I, because of God's word, I am wiser than my enemies. And that empowers me that I can stand to anybody and with all confidence say, well, that's your opinion, but the Bible says. When you can come back and say, the Bible says, and you show them where the Bible, God himself has said this, then they can do with what they want. But there is just no greater satisfaction when you've used the authority of his word. Sometimes you and I, when we know God's word and when we listen to his spirit, help us recall what we need at just the right moment, we can have more insight than even some of the smartest teachers. Look at verse 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet. 
a light to my path. I think we've already talked about, about that. Your word is a lamp. When you go into a dark room and you turn the light on, what does that lamp do? It helps you see. It helps you understand. And the light to my path, it shows me the direction I need to go. Why wouldn't we want to keep our Bibles open? I think by the time it gets to verse 129, I appreciate this so much. It's like as he is listening to himself, as he is writing these verses down, and all what his word will do to get us out of the pit and the miry clay and get us through trouble and distress and sorrow, even sorrow to the depths of our soul. I think as he goes over this in his mind and he realizes all oh, what this book is going to do, all of a sudden your word's just plain wonderful. Your word is wonderful. Therefore, I am going to obey him. I'm going to obey what, what it says. Verse 145. Let's just go over this. I call with all my heart. If you, if you think that it's a lack of faith or it's, it's a sign of weakness or whatever, to call out to the Lord and with your hands up and I have had it. I don't know what to do, where to go. I am so devastated. In fact, I think we learned last, last year with Luke that he loves the word desperate. He loves it when we are desperate. So he is welcoming us. The psalmist says, call on him. I call, I call on him with all my heart. I call with all my heart. Answer me, O oh Lord. Because I believe that you are listening. Because your word told me that you listen. And you hear and you answer. I call out to you. I call out to you because I'm so desperate. Save me. Save me. Give me back into your word. 147, I rise before dawn. Sometimes it's been a tough night and maybe you're, you ran out of names and you still are in the worry stage. Get up. Get up and cry for help. And look at the psalm says, and I'm going to say I put my hope in your word. I am going back to my open Bible. Verse 151, it's just like he, he gently and lovingly reminds us, you are near, oh Lord. Yeah, yet in all this time and all, all this desperateness, oh yeah, that's right, you're near. You're near. 155, salvation is far from the wicked. Don't you wonder... Why salvation is far from the wicked? I mean, and look at the psalmist answers this. Their salvation is far from them because they do not seek out your word. They, they do not know that there are terms set up. That if you don't come to the cross of Christ and you accept Jesus as your Savior, you're going to hell. That this is, this is what he said. This is, there's no, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. 
These are the absolutes. They don't know. Oh, they might have seen it on a banner or at a baseball game, but they don't know what this scripture means for them, that God so loved them, that he was willing to give his son for them, that if they would choose to believe in him, they wouldn't perish but have everlasting life. They, they don't know that. Why? Because they don't, they don't go to this book. That's why salvation is so far away from the wicked. It's that simple. They don't know this. Look at 160. All your words are true. All your words are true. And they're eternal. And I want to kind of end tonight with this verse. To me, it just kind of, what are the results when you do take this Psalm 119 seriously and you do commit to studying every day and you want to be accountable and you're giving him permission because you're making a choice and a decision. You want to be on the path that's pure. And you have seen very simply over and over what it takes. But look, look what you and I can have if we do. No matter what happens in our lives, and it's drama and dramatic and horrific sometimes. Look at verse 165. Great peace have they who love your word. And no matter what we go through, if we keep our Bibles open, if we keep our mind and our heart filled with his word and we are willing to make a choice to listen to the Holy Spirit, help us recall what we have learned at just the right time, we can experience this great peace. So really, what is the psalmist trying to get us to see the greatness and the glory of God's word and the effectiveness that it has on our lives in all circumstances. But bottom line, he's, he's trying to show us a great way to live. And who doesn't want that? It's such a great way to live. Heavenly Father, we are so desperate for you. And so we thank you for this psalm, 176 verses, that even though we didn't go through every one, there are many that just say sometimes the same thing over and over to get it through our thick skulls. Father, it's just so clear tonight. You don't make it difficult if we really want to hear, if we really want to understand. And you're willing to turn our heart, turn our eyes, you're ready to teach us. Father, what a great way. You want us to live abundantly. Why would Jesus say that he came purposely so we could live abundant living? We don't have to live stressed and negative and critical and divided. And Instead, we can have great peace. Great peace when we love your word. Lord, help us to keep our Bibles open. May we be drawn to them like a magnet because we know it is everything we need. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.